It's Socceroos from Go to Woe on the Splash today on this Thursday, the 16th of November. searching along the way but Australia are going to their fourth consecutive World Cup finals the Roos are off to Russia Australia 3 Honduras 1 yes we're coming off an historic night uh, on the splash today plenty to talk about in regards to all things Socceroos the coach Ange Postacoglu, the players, Tim Cahill's uh, post-game comments, all of that coming up. Welcome into the Splash and welcome to the Fox Football Podcast. Uh, We're killing two birds with one stone uh, with this production today. Uh, I'm your host, Phil Pryor, uh, and we will get to the Socceroos uh, stuff in a moment, just very quickly as well as we record Peru are playing against New Zealand in the final remaining World Cup qualifying game uh, by the time you're listening to to this. Uh, We'll have a result for you at the Fox Sports website. Be sure to go and check out all that uh, and and all the analysis uh, following all of that as well. Um, And for the splash listeners out there, uh, for those that tuned in earlier this week, still no selection uh, leaks to come out of the uh, the test select selectors uh, ahead of the first test uh, at the Ashes. We're still none the wiser um, in terms of the two or three positions of uncertainty in that Australian uh, Test 11. And, and it's probably a good thing that no journos have been uh, given the inside scoop as well. I think that says something about uh, where the, the inner sanctum is at um, as far as uh, the Australian Test selection uh, committee is concerned Um, of course that is announced tomorrow morning Friday Uh, so we'll have all the details for you on tomorrow's splash but let's get into the big topic for the splash and for the Fox football podcast all things Socceroos related so I've got the Fox football digital team on hand Dave Weiner and Kate Cohen Happy, happy, happy 16th of November. What a perfect anniversary (laughs) for the famous Uruguay game. We're here celebrating pretty Ah. bleary-eyed after another famous night last night. Literally 11 years ago, was it? To this day? 12. 12. 12. 12. Wow. Time flies. And and my maths is no good, apparently. (laughs) Um, But yeah, let's, uh, let's not dwell on that because we have some celebrating to do. The Socceroos are through to a fourth consecutive uh, World Cup Finals appearance off to Russia next year. Uh, Kate, you were in the Fox Sports building last night, uh, making sure that we had uh, every moment uh, up on the Fox Sports website as it happened. And Dave, you were fortunate enough to be out there. So let, I, want, I want to hand over to both of you and, uh, and describe... Uh, your respective, yeah. uh, you know, memory of, uh, yeah, of the occasion. Yeah, for sure. Look, it's like, I wrote last night that we'll, we'll remember where we were when Mille Ednak was the most inspiring mm. man in the country <laughs> coming back from, we all know the numbers now, 99 club minutes for the season, but 180 in two games for his country. Yeah. And yeah. not only did he put the set pieces was away. Was with all, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with yeah. ice cool running through his veins, but yeah. his performance, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, 
was almost perfect over two legs. He couldn't have played a more brilliant captain's knock. Um, it's been an emotional, I'd say, 10 days, two weeks for probably everyone involved in Australian football. I've been fortunate enough to have gone to San Pedro Sula, come back on the charter flight, mm. um, gone to the game last night. I feel I feel like an emotional wreck, so I don't know how the players and the coaching <laughs> staff and everyone involved with it feels because, you know, I remember rocking up for the very first qualifier in the office here um, in when they, the team was in Bishkek. It was a long, long, long time ago. It was 22 games ago, yeah. the longest path ever. We know that as well. That's another stat that's been rolled out. This team's earned it. They really have. They've been criticised. They've had highs. They've had lows. They've had setbacks. There's been pantomime. There have been subplots. But if you've been asked to play 22 games to get there and you've only lost twice, mm-hmm. you deserve to be in the World Cup. Yeah. And yeah. I hope now over the next few months, whatever plays out, this team will be ready to do justice to that on the world stage. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, was it uh, was it tense in here? You know, let's be honest. We're all pretty... Everyone in the building last night w- would have been in their uh, Socceroos gear. Well, I think the building emptied out uh, as soon as I walked in the to start covering crew. the match. Everyone yeah, left yeah. to go to the game and all that was left was the football <laughs> team who were covering it live in here in the office. And you know it's a special night when uh, the Fox Sports hierarchy organises pizza oh, for yeah. those who were working. Yeah. So it was a very special <laughs> night. We had pizza and pavlova in the office and there was just yeah there was some wild celebrations and wild scenes um Mm. yeah it was amazing I was just glad I wasn't live blogging because I was struggling to compose (laughs) myself very many times throughout that second half particularly when Yednak was stepping up to take the penalties I think I was about 10 meters away from my computer just (laughs) not wanting to watch so I'm glad I wasn't on the uh live rolling updates and and uh, a blessing in disguise too that the the, the news team are no longer broadcasting out yeah. of this building because no. there there have been times in the past when you hear this yes crazy <laughs> celebration which actually comes through Live on, on Fox Sports yeah. News 500. I, I think Tim Cahill's volley against the Netherlands is one of those moments that comes <laughs> to mind. But just on the atmosphere, I think it was fantastic that it sold out. I think it's a damn shame that there were, um, again, transport problems and traffic problems around the area getting into the venue because there wasn't a cauldron-like atmosphere in the build-up because mm the crowd was really racing to get in on kickoff. But um, whilst it was not Uruguay in terms of laced with that tension because there wasn't the drought, there were those anxieties that needed to be ridden. A road, sorry, over the course of the 90 minutes. And the noise and the celebration and the happiness when Millet scored, the euphoria. It was relief, wasn't it? It was right up there. Yeah, Yeah. it was relief. It was all those emotions mixed in. And in the end, even though it wasn't a a furnace like... Honduras possibly presented. It was a great atmosphere that everyone there will remember for long, long uh, for many years to come. Yeah, for sure. I, I, just on that uh, that traffic situation, it was a. It, yeah, I mean, of course Sydney does this, you know, like out at Homebush. <laughs> uh, Couldn't think of uh, of another city. And, and there was a Drake concert on at the same time. At, yeah, at the same venue. Well, that um, was the thing. He ended up wearing a, a Matthew German jersey of all things, which is as as Kate covered last night. Drake, Socceroos, Matt German, probably not three things we thought we'd have in the one sentence, but we did. It was one of those nights. It was a brilliant night, and uh, yeah, good stuff. We'll get to the uh, the performance in just a moment, but uh, I, I want to start uh, with some Tim Cahill thoughts mm-hmm. here, because straight after full-time, uh, in an interview with, um, with the Fox Sports crew, uh, was it a little shot at at Melbourne City, you know, um, kind of saying, look, 
I'm going to need some serious game time if I'm to prepare myself for a World mm. Cup next year. You could see, as soon as that full-time whistle blew, what it meant to Tim Cahill, um, leaping on Ange Postacoglu's back and just <laughs> celebrating. And then once the moment sunk in, you could just see him struggling to hold back the tears. And I think from then, it, it sums up Tim Cahill that once the tears had subsided, his first thought was, I need to be prepared to go to Russia. Mm. So obviously those quotes that he gave to Fox Sports immediately after the match was that he needs to sort out his club future to ensure he's playing regularly, Mm. um, whether that's with Melbourne City or not. So that was very much a a bit of a bombshell drop to say that, you know what, I I could leave in January and go go to a different club to ensure that he's fit and prepared ready to uh, be on that flight to Russia. The question then becomes, if it's not Melbourne City, where does Tim Cahill go? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. F- for, for his time in the A-League, he has been used m- for the majority of the time as an impact sub and also in deeper midfield roles. So, you know, with Fauna Rowley coming back to fitness with Ross McCormack doing well up front, does Tim Cahill fit into that Melbourne City team? So there's going to be a lot of questions mm. that continue all the way through till January. And even once January starts and that... that uh, transfer window opens up even then if Tim Cahill's future isn't sorted then this will carry on until right up until Russia because it's a big big storyline that Tim Cahill literally he set the agenda as soon as he'd finished uh, reveling in the success he just went straight away and set that news agenda for the next few months it's a very interesting it's almost a reverse club versus country situation because what we're actually demanding in Melbourne City and Tim was almost uh, mm. stamping his authority at that point saying remember who your star commodity is it's almost yeah. like do Melbourne City have a responsibility to make sure that Tim Cahill is match fit for the mm. national side in 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 nine months' time or, or whatever it is? As Kate said, two very, very good strikers to play alongside with him. You're probably looking... I would not be surprised if there are feelers being putting out to Asian clubs as we speak. We know he came to yep. the, to the yep. A-League from China. Um, and as great as Tim was last year to turbocharge the competition, Mm -hmm. I actually do think, and I would have no issue if he was completely selfish in this instance and did whatever is best for Tim Cahill to get to the World Cup to carry the nation's hopes, uh, goal-scoring hopes. No, absolutely not. And and I'm sure as if he was quick enough to set the agenda as soon as he walked off the pitch, rules are in motion as we speak uh, to make sure that he's in the best condition going forward. I will add just quickly, and and I do agree with Warren Joyce, who came in like a bit of a stunned mullet into his press conference this morning. Cahill was managed, I think, reasonably well to get to the Syria game. He might have other ideas. Um, But the fact was he was in a position to play 120 minutes at a point in the season that uh, no A-League player had a lot under their belt. So uh, I do wonder a little bit there, um, and as John Aloisi said last night, where there's a little bit more to it in terms of just being game time because he seemed to be reasonably well managed come that Syria game where he performed so heroically. Yeah, uh, and... Just from my perspective, what I really noticed over this process, soccer is qualifying this time around, uh, is just how uh, how much club form and minutes at club level affects selection in the national team. Because for a punter like myself, um, you know Tim Cahill, Mila Yedinak, the the huge names, people like myself just assume that they're in in your best eleven. But so much more goes into into selection in in that regard. You know, the the, the concern that Yednak hadn't played enough club minutes. Uh, and for mine, I, my theory was he's captain. Just get him in there. He'll he'll work his way through. Um, you know, through the ninety minutes uh, times two. And and with Tim Cahill, understandably went over to Honduras with an ankle injury, but comes back 
assuming he's fully fit, just put him out there. He'll make it happen. He always does that, you know. But it's it's really not that simple. And and uh, and and Cahill, uh, of course, is aware of that. Well, there's a lot more complexity, particularly when you're talking about a two leg tie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when you get to a competition stage, there's the 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 management of three games in a short amount of time. Someone like Millet, who has so many intangibles that come to his game. Exactly. Um, last night and in the other leg, we saw his tangibles, which was the quality of his performance. Uh, the challenge for any budding Socceroo squad aspirant over the next five, six months is to start banging the goals. We're talking to James McCone. <laughs> we're talking to Adam Taggart. We're talking to Nikita Rukovitsia. We're talking to ban- Brandon Barella. We're talking to those guys because there's an opportunity there to try and work your way in to one of the few spots that are left open. Tim Cahill has one of them. Yep. Regardless of how much he's playing, he will be there. What we need for the sake of the team is that he is match fit. Tommy yeah. Urich will be there. So the challenge is out there. Will a young kid... Well, the ki- Kiwis just survive a chance. We're just watching it while we're, while we're watching, talking in the background. The challenge is there for someone to step up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just on the, on the performance, both of you... Uh, what were your, your key takeaways? Do you think they kind of saved their best for last or were we a touch fortunate in the sense that, um, you know, we, we finished our goals off uh, from a couple of penalties and, uh, you know, a deflection from a set piece? I'll jump in quickly here and I know Kate will have some thoughts on this. I, th- I saw it as finally a bit of luck going Australia's way after a qualifying campaign where uh, they had a lot of opportunities, a lot of chances created, a lot of expected goals to use a, a, a terminology that I know Kate's a, a keen student of. Um, sometimes in this stage, it was a game where it was tense, it was anxious, there was a bit of scrap mixed with a bit of quality. You just need some luck. Yeah, yeah. And last night, the luck was on Australia's it, side. It, it regressed back towards the mean from the chances that we've created over the last couple of yeah, months. Yeah, thankfully. That's what you mean by expected goals, I'm assuming, based mm-hmm. on chances created. Correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the quality yeah. of the chances that we created. Yeah, we got the rewards that we, we maybe lacked in, in previous qualifiers. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the overall thing is that at a time where, and we'll touch on Ange in a second, the narrative of Ange, but at a time that he came under so much pressure, you watch these two games, and I just thought with so much at stake, everything couldn't have been... Uh, planned more to perfection. Yep. And you look last, the balance in Honduras where we had a very disciplined bat three that at times was almost a back six. You had three creative midfielders who were trying to, in football parlance, break the lines, play in triangles, move the chess pieces around for Honduras. On our own turf, we had players that were a little bit more offensive offensive-minded, trying to set the agenda. Honduras tried to press us. That was a challenge Australia had to negotiate. They did eventually, despite some hiccups, and the patience was rewarded when Rogic did find himself in some space, did manage to surge mm-hmm. through, yeah. did manage to pick the ball up in a good position from a good pass, and that's ultimately where the free kick was, was, was handed over. Yeah, yeah. Kate, I want to just pass you on to the role of Yednak because I know that's something that um, people have been talking about, his set-piece work. But he was masterful, sitting just in front of the front three. At times, you could even say he was splitting some of the centre-backs, dropping back in to pick up the ball. That, for me, showed everything about the tactical planning that this Socceroos side did for these games. Yeah, it was fantastic, the role of Yedinak. Obviously, in the first half, we didn't create a whole amount of chances. But Yedinak's role was really important in what eventually tied out the Honduras team, who we you know we know about the the long flight that they had over here, how somewhere in economy, somewhere in business class. We know all of the the subplots before the game, but 
But by Jedinak playing that role that he did, that freed up Australia to continue with their midfield diamond where there's three more attacking midfielders mm. ahead of him, knowing that Jedinak will just sit at home and keep things nice and nice and tight in transition. But once Australia had controlled possession of the ball, Jedinak's role was to drop back in next to Trent Sainsbury, which allowed the other two outside backs in the back three, uh, Bailey Wright and Matthew Yerman, to open up a little bit wider which in itself was tactically really important in that first half because of the way that Honduras were looking to defend. So Honduras had their back five, midfield four, and uh, one number nine up front to defend. And by Yedinak dropping in and our two outside backs opening up a little bit wider, that actually drew Honduras's wide midfielders further forward. Mm. And what that resulted in was that meant more space for Tom Rogic, more space for Aaron Moy, more space for Mark Milligan to find little pockets of space in between the lines and either side of the two Honduras central midfielders. And and even when Honduras tried to step on a centre-back into midfield, there was always that overload for the Socceroos. And Yedinak, not just his role in terms of positioning, but also his passing was excellent. It was, much maligned at times Absolutely. for Absolutely. You know, uh, early on he sprayed a couple of nice diagonals, a couple were overhit, but then he was able to f- play uh, forward passes into midfield and beat players, take players out of the game by playing those forward passes to allow Rogic and Moy to face forward and run at players. So all, all round it was a really fantastic display from Millet and even just taking away the goals, mm. and obviously the goals were set pieces and, and mm. dead ball situations, but Yedinak was absolutely sublime uh, in the role that he played, and that's also that also shows you Postacoglu in the way that he had identified that by playing with two deeper midfielders and two attacking midfielders in this back three formation, it became a little bit predictable yep. the way Australia were trying to play, so it was always looking for Rogic and, and another in between the lines with Moy playing a little bit deeper, but by pushing Moy on and pushing another player on, that that meant there was there were more uh, forward passing options for Australia, so credit to, to Postacoglu for, for tweaking the formation, for making it more attacking and for in being doing flexible. so, for being flexible, yeah. no but he wow. has been flexible throughout <laughs> His, throughout his entire reign. So it's an interesting critique, and I think Andy Harper touched on that before the, the, the first leg, where Postacoglu is flexible, and he does tweak tactics regularly. Um, it's just whether or not he tweaks it in the way that people yeah. want him to tweak it. So <laughs> once again, Postacoglu showing that, that he was willing to adapt, and, and in Yedinak he had that perfect player to sit there as the deeper midfielder. Perfect. You gave him a 10 out of 10, didn't you? I gave him a 10 out of 10, yeah, and no- that was before... The uh, before the two penalties as well. I'd actually, I'd actually. <laughs> you can't get, you can't give a ten, but <laughs> that a deflected free kick is good enough. <laughs> um, just on the flexibility that you spoke about, and it, it did require a bit of patience too. I thought yes. Milligan took a bit of time to find his role in in that little bit more advanced. But what it did do is it did allow that progression of breaking mm. through mm. their lines as well because uh, it gave Milian um, another ball playing option right Correct. next to him. It allowed the other two to really push forward mm. and I thought in the first half predictable is not the right word but it was a little bit clear that Honduras could set up on Rogic or Moore to try yep. and shut them down and it needed absolute perfection to work through them whereas the movement was a little bit better as Honduras mm. tired. But that's an underrated part of the game plan is it's moving those parts of those chess yeah, pieces. Absolutely. And Millsy was quite key to that last night. Yeah, very much so. And we saw Honduras's tactics in the first half, whether it was deliberate or not, but there was a lot of stoppages in play. Yeah. There was a lot of players going down receiving treatment. Um, so 
from the Honduras side of things, it was quite clear that they were trying to sit back, soak up pressure, slow the tempo of the game down and keep it nil-nil for as long as possible, knowing that if they got one goal on Mm. the counter-attack, Australia needed two. Mm. So their approach was very clear, but Australia were very patient. They didn't force things in that first half. They knew that if they kept moving them, kept making them move from side to side and move up and back as Australia was playing through the lines, that eventually they would hit that wall and they would tire considering their travel that they had to go through. So it was a very patient first half. It would have been nice to have gone into the break with a goal, you know, with Rogic's fantastic mm. chance, uh, Cahill nearly getting on the end of, of Moy's free kick early on. So there were a couple of chances, but in the end it was a very controlled first half performance. And then as John Aloisi touched on in the in the halftime show, just that lift of ball tempo from Australia just, just brought things to life yeah. in that second half and we really ran forward with it. And looking... Phil, at the 180-minute context of the game as well. Yep. You've got to admire the fact that, you know, what, a, bit, a lot of the rhetoric has been about how the, the squad has expanded and grown. But this is a situation where you had Massimo Luongo, who was arguably the best on the field in San Pedro Sula, was, was not used. Mm-hmm. Remember, yeah, was not used last night. Jackson yep. Irvine mm-hmm. was not used last night. Um, Robbie Cruz was coming on late. He's a regular starter. They were genuine options for Postacoglu if he actually had mm. to change the dynamic of the game. And that only bodes well as the squad continues, continues to expand over the coming months. The other thing that was very positive was, and I don't think this has been touched on enough as a, as a point of recognition, is this is a clean sheet on the biggest stage and test of all. Two in a row. And I Until think, the 94th minute. Oh, yeah, we lost 3-1. We won 3-1, <laughs> that's fine. Everyone uh, can, just wipes wipe that goal that. from yeah, our we memory. we can wipe that one out. I think oh, if you ask Matty Ryan, he would not be wiping it because he will still be filthy, but... I'd yeah. probably followed my piece by the time it was 3-1 <laughs> as well, to be honest with you. But Actually, we'll, we'll, I saw we'll Yedinak turn around and apologise to Matty Ryan. So maybe you do need to wipe away that uh, yeah. perfect 10. That could have yeah. been his fault. Yeah. 9.5 for Millet. Yeah. But I do want to shout out, um, I know Matty Yerman was very lucky early in the game. He, he got away with mm-hmm. one there, quite possibly. But I mentioned it after the San Pedro Sula leg, the way they stepped up, their discipline. This includes Aziz Bayic, mm-hmm. who um, I think can only improve going forward. I think he's in all the right areas, and as he gets more confident, uh, will become a real asset to the side. Um, you have um, Bailey Wright, who was really solid last night, and the absolutely imperious Trent Sainsbury, who was just magnificent. So I think... We just have our fingers crossed that his surgery and, and his injury recovery goes to plan because w- without Trent Sainsbury, that defence is incredibly different. Yep. He was, again, superb as the centre of that back three. Um, yeah, he's really been a standout since yep. Postacoglu moved to that system. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, Postacoglu, you just mentioned his name, gave nothing away last night in terms of his involvement as the soccer is coach going forward. Um, so what does that mean? Uh, what can we take away from everything we know so far? And, yeah. what, and what chance do you give, Ange, of being the soccer is coach in Russia? Do you know what? Uh, we ran a poll on foxsports.com.au this week with a sample size of a couple of thousand, so it's enough to get a bit of a feel for. And 71% said that should the soccer is qualify, they wanted Ange Postacoglu to stay on. And I put that to him last night at the press conference. Wow. And he changed tact a little bit in what was a pretty uh, emotional, reflective... Um, typically, I guess, expansive press conference. He started to look back at his four years and you can see the strain it's taken on him. You can see the yeah, emotional toll yeah. it's taken on him. You can see the responsibility that he felt with being in charge of his national team, particularly at a time where maybe a lot of the criticism was leveled at him that he was being a bit cavalier. Mm. And I think we saw in these games, in a, I guess in a post sense, 
his pragmatism in a in a way that isn't pragmatic. The way he is able to be adaptive and and, and flexible, in a way that he has probably not been appreciated for over yeah, the yeah. course of this two and a half year journey. Yeah, he you came know, off. For he came. Sakes. I think it was even before this game. He admitted how much. He needed his family to help prop yeah, him that's up, right. you, know, so, to, you know, just for support. I've um, got no doubt that there are real burning issues behind the scenes. There's why that story came out. Um, but I look at it now and I go, you're touching a World Cup. You're there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you were there. You have the platform now to be that spokesman, be that uh, mentor to take the side on, to take on the world's best. Um and to put the final touches on a portrait that you've built and put your blood, sweat, and tears, put your life on the line for for the yeah, last yeah. four years. I I cannot with any confidence say which way he's going to go, but I hope the wave of, of momentum that has showed the support he's got makes mm-hmm. him consider staying. And I say that because he has been the guy that has guided the side this far. Yeah. And so he remains the best man to do that. He's the best Australian candidate right now. Mm-hmm. He's a, He's got the side playing a certain way. And... Whether I was a fan of that or not, it would be a shame at this point to waste all that hard work and the intellectual property of four years of, of blood, sweat, and tears that have led to that. Um, so it's going to drop on us in the next few weeks what happens. Um, but overall, we're none the wiser, and I do think that's a, a very strange shadow still to be lurking over the over the story. And, and can we um, read into you know the likes of Timmy Cahill... Running over and embracing him on full time, absolutely, you know, yes. Jumping at him and and uh, you know giving him a big hug like that suggests that he absolutely. still has the players absolutely. behind him. Yep. There was there was talk um, in and amongst the furor of you know us not qualifying directly through that through that group when we finished third behind Japan and Saudi Arabia that had Postacoglu lost the dressing room and I think we saw with this two legged tie against Honduras, Milayetanak not fully fit with a bit of a groin complaint that he's missed the start of the season and he missed the Confederations Cup with. He puts his body on the line. Tim Cahill, not fully recovered from his ankle. You could see when he copped that knock from, uh, I think Mm. it was Figueroa in Mm. that first half. He went down clutching his ankle. He was in pain. He put Mm. his body on the line. Same thing with Trent Sainsbury, who now requires surgery. He put his body on the line. So if ever there was any doubt whether these players wanted to play for Postacoglu, there's three glaring examples to show that. They were willing not just to put a short-term injury risk on the line, but they were willing to, for, for Sainsbury, if he requires surgery and he aggravates that further, then that's that's a risk where he could, you know, he could be out for a long time. Mila yeah. if he redoes that groin, mm. which he only has just come back from surgery, mm. that's a that's a long-term injury. So they were willing to put their bodies on the line for, for their coach. And I think we, we talk about, you know, does Postacoglu stay? Does he go? I, I think if you bring into into the discussion some of the narratives that Postacoglu has been giving to his players throughout his time in charge, he has to stay. Because you hear things like leading up to the Asian Cup, some of the some of the uh, anecdotes and stories that he would tell his players were things like before the Asian Cup, as they were building into the Asian Cup, he was talking about how the Socceroos now have an opportunity to write a new chapter in Australian football history. So that's a big thing for Postacoglu, drawing on the history of the Socceroos, drawing on what the Socceroos represent to not just the football fans, but the country as a whole. So he used that Asian Cup as a way to tell these players, this is your chance to write a chapter. And he continued that narrative all the way through the tournament. When they got to extra time, what was his, what was his, what was his speech? His speech was, 
Now we just get to write a couple more pages to make that chapter mm. longer. Mm. It's also a, a, an anecdote and a story that he was telling the, the players about how they want to reach that, that summit at Everett. So they want to reach the top. And to do that, you're going to have to overcome and, and you know push through the clouds where you can't see the top. But the top is the World Cup. Mm. So if Postacoglu leads them there and then isn't there, then that's... It's a difficult one to comprehend because all along he's been building towards this thing where growing their belief that they can achieve something fantastic, something groundbreaking for football in this country and to reach the World Cup in the way that that has been done, playing the style of football that they have been with the collective mentality of the team. It's a real credit to Postacoglu. Put aside any of the criticism, it's a credit to Postacoglu, the mentality that he's built within that group. So for him not to be there to lead them, it will be very, very interesting and it will be it will be uh, one to follow to see if that group becomes deflated by mm. losing him or if they continue on uh, with that path that he set forward. And you've also got to take into consideration that Postacoglu has made clear that when he finishes his term as national team coach, he wants to crack it in Europe. Mm. He doesn't have the glittering playing career. He mm. brought that up himself, I think, as a little bit of a as a little bit of a dig to others, but he yeah. doesn't have a legendary Socceroos career and he hasn't gone on to play in Europe to win trophies. So that means when you are moving to a European country and trying to earn respect as a coach, there's always going to be that doubt of who are you? Why why are you coaching me? But if Postacoglu takes the Socceroos to the World Cup, has a fantastic performance against some of the best teams in the world, perhaps causes upsets, gets through the group, wins a knockout game, all of a sudden, Postacoglu's reputation goes worldwide. Mm. European football clubs now want to pick him up. So it's it's interesting because all of it's been leading towards this. So does he put aside whatever grievances he has to continue and finish off this path that he set? I th- and I think he's earned the right to uh, to maybe even come and see what works at in the Fox football team here as well if he uh, you know chooses not to continue coaching with the Socceroos. Oh, that would be an interesting panel if, if he did. <laughs> Don't forget that's where he was before he was uh, sent back to, to, to Brisbane Raw. But um, <laughs> you mentioned opportunity and stage. It's quite an interesting World Cup that's set up because the way the draw could fall with a lot of teams that are fresh-faced World Cup teams, there's some giants that aren't there, there could be a there could be a group situation. I mean, last time we went completely the other way. We had three of the top ten teams in the world we in one group. seem to have a bad, bad luck of getting yeah. groups of death. But this is a tournament where there is an opportunity for a country to shock the world. Mm. Um, mm. And you, you've got to remember that if so, there's been two or three tournaments, the Confeds, the Asian Cup, the last World Cup, where Postacoglu has had a club-like situation to be able to work with the team beforehand and take some of these values that, might be a bit too difficult to impart in one or two sessions that you get when you're on the road each 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 game. They've stepped up on each of those occasions. So I've got no doubt that there have been there's been criticism that's been warranted of him over the last year. I've got no doubt that there've been massive teething problems and I've got no doubt that the Socceroos have not performed at their fully functional flowing best consistently for the last year. Otherwise they would have been automatically qualified because there was drop points in games that they shouldn't have dropped points. But that notwithstanding, we're here now and those tournament situations gives me hope and promise that nothing should change if he stays on. And talking about the mood and the deflation and how that would help, one of the the Rora and honest players in the squad is Tommy Urich, mm-hmm. who we spoke to in San Pedro Sula, and he said, I just can't imagine him not being there. Mm. 
and I think that's the that's the point is for all the hysterics of when the news was broken after the Syria game, where it was seemed quite emphatic without being verified that he was going. And as time's gone on, there's been the spectra that there might be some wriggle room, and, and uh, truly we are speculating because we don't know. And at the moment, as as it stands, is, is the new story is that he is quitting, and it hasn't. Nothing has been said to change that. Mm. Um, you just you just can't fathom him not being the man to, to be there. And, and, I'll, and I'll finish with one reason why. He said last night that part of his pre-match pep talk and something that possibly hasn't been given as much coverage because it is from the inner sanctum is how good his motivational resources are and what he does to fire the team up and give them that sense of pride about playing for Australia. But he said he showed them his very first press conference. And what did he say in that very first press conference? Never take a backward step. I just can't even see him <laughs> taking that backward step right now when he's got the opportunity to take on the world. So it's going to happen soon. December 1's the draw. He said he'll have a decision made by then. And uh, that'll be equally a bombshell either way, whatever that decision is, uh, when that lobs in and we wait with bated breath. Nicely said, Dave. Kate, I think I also heard him kind of alluding to the soccer as being a genuine chance to win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's kind of what he was if alluding you like, to. If you like the right flushing money Cup. down the drain, Australia are $201 to win the World Cup as it currently stands. So it's up to you, Phil, how much you value your money. There's a lot of work to do. This team is nowhere near the finished product. Honduras were a poor team. They were a poor mm. team over two legs. Australia have struggled for consistency yeah. for a few months now. But I still believe the ingredients are there. The bones of a, of a core are there. That with, a, a, with the Australian spirit and tenacity is there. We saw that at the Confederations Cup that built towards something against Chile. That the team, will now that we are there, will not disgrace ourselves no matter who we're drawn against. Mm. And uh, I think we better leave it there. Guys, we've been in here a while now. Uh, any Anything else to, to, to quickly conclude on? Or are we all done? Come on, the Kiwis. All good? <laughs> yeah, no, look, all, all it is, it's, it's been a long two-and-a-half-year process. The Socceroos brand has been through the highs of coming off the Asian Cup win when the qualifying started to a bit of human soap opera over Postacoglu, a bit of genuine um, polarizing confusion about what he was doing and what he was striving for and whether the team was any good or not. We've gone through the angst that Australian football can because we are we were in a playoff situation. We we're so close to missing out. But something really resonated. You look yesterday, we qualified the day after Italy missed out. We're in a very privileged situation. <laughs> we're going to a fourth World Cup in a row. And I was thinking last night while I was reflecting at the game, as Mark Viduka lined up and missed his penalty 12 years ago when I was in the crowd behind those goals, if you'd have asked me to fast forward 12 years when he missed that penalty, that we'd be sitting here in the situation we are now saying we make a fourth World Cup in a row, Tim Cahill has the chance to score at four World Cups in a row, that Mark Milligan, who at the time was a right back for Sydney FC, would be going to his fourth World Cup in a row. I would have said, what was the line? Tell them they're dreaming. Yep. <laughs> and we're the here ten now. Of the, 11, the 10 of the starting 11 would have been players who have played or come through the A-League. A competition well that said. was just wow. come into existence well back said. then. Well said. I just think sometimes we just need a bit of context. Um, maybe a 24-hour flight gives me the chance to think about those types of things a bit more than I otherwise would. But I think that's the way you have to conclude here. There's been so much playing of the man instead of the ball. There's been so much... 
granular examination of the Socceroos. We have to enjoy this. We're at a World Cup. We're at the fourth World Cup in a row. We're going to Russia. The Netherlands aren't. Italy aren't. USA aren't. Chile aren't. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the ride. Well said. Well said. Uh, that'll do us on the splash and on the Fox Football Podcast. Uh, Doubling up. Yeah, we've doubled up with our... You can listen to it twice if you like. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that'll do us. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in, for listening, for subscribing. Uh, and until next time, that's a wrap.